everybody. Welcome back to Soulcraft. Today, my special guest, Tracy's out of office, but one of my professors and now co-workers, which is super exciting, uh, Dr. Beth Wilson. <laughs> so fancy. I know, dude. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Well, I am Beth Wilson, and I have been a social worker for about 25 years. A started with the BSW and did a lot of different things out in New Jersey, um, working in a nursing home. And then I went back to Wisconsin, where I'm from, and got my master's degree at the University of Wisconsin and specialized in mental health and have been kind of been doing mental health off and on for years. I've been a professor for a while now, too. And I recently started working with Feed Your Soul. Dude, New Jersey. Wow, what was that like? It's hectic there. Yeah, my family's from Philly, although my grandmother lives in Jersey right now, so that makes sense. Uh, it is always hectic with my family. They're very hot-blooded Italian people. What's well, funny, I lived in Bucks County. Interesting, really? Yes, for 10 years. Oh my gosh, that's Which insane. is Langhorn. So, my family all lives near, like, the the stereotypical like Jersey Shore like Ventnor Avenue and stuff. I like. know where Ventnor Avenue yeah. is. <laughs> we go to the Jersey Shore every year. So we Ocean City. We spend a week there. Yeah, that's uh my, my sister in law, she's so generous. She gets this huge house and we have like sixteen people in it and it's fun, fun, fun. Dude, that's amazing. So all right, it's kinda the end of the world. COVID nineteen oh. has taken oh. its toll on the literal world. Everybody's freaking out, which is perfect for our topic today because we're talking about anxiety. Mm. So there you don't is, sound anxious about it, Michael. I'm not anxious about it, man. I feel like we will manage. We can be smart about it. Um, please turn to places like the World Health Organization, the CDC. Look to reputable news sources if you're getting your information from Fox News, Facebook, Twitter reddit let's see nobody uses myspace anymore i don't even think myspace is still a medium <laughs> so like if you're getting your news from there uh stop it just you know who you are stop it <laughs> just mm. go to the cdc's website they've got some really good tips for you know virus control all that i digress um well i think it is serious i think we do need to be careful yeah right and um i think that the, there's wisdom to that but i don't know if there is um as much warrant for fear as some places have been drumming up i'm trying to be like politically correct i'm not trying to make this political i'm not trying to make any statement Let's about talk our in eight weeks michael yeah like honestly we'll revisit this like somebody set a reminder in their phones and email us <laughs> in eight weeks um, I'm, a, I'm a news junkie so and I've watched and listened to a lot of podcasts. So while I do think we need to manage our anxiety. That's right. Because if you're anxious or OCD right now, it could light a switch in your brain. And even some people that maybe had a lingering anxiety disorder, this yeah. could send them into full-blown OCD. Yeah. Obsessive and compulsive disorder. We don't want to. And that, um, does that fall under anxiety? And eh, there's six different anxiety diagnoses but we're going to mostly talk about i think generalized anxiety yep so today like last time we talked about depression today anxiety seems to fit given the current status in the united states right now um, we're going to talk about what it is how many people have it um, just some things you can do to help manage your anxiety and then we'll wrap it up so uh from the top our sources are the national institute of mental health and the DSM-5, which, like I said last time, is a diagnostic manual to outlines criteria for diagnosing mental illness. All right, guys. So in order to get a um, diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder, um, you have to have at least two or more, I think. You have to have three or more of the following six symptoms. Restlessness or feeling keyed up on or on edge, being easily fatigued, 
difficulty concentrating or, you know, mind going blank, irritability, tension in your muscles, and sleep disturbances, which, you know, is layman terms like difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep. And so some differentiating things about that is it has to be not related to another condition, related to your health, or the substance use. And then there's some other anxiety disorders. might be a good time just to mention some of these. Like there's panic disorder with agoraphobia, mm-hmm. which means you're afraid to go out because you're afraid of having panic attacks out in the world. And then there's straight up panic attack disorder. There's social phobia or social anxiety disorder. That would mm-hmm. be um, you're afraid of being evaluated by other people. And then there's OCD. Mm-hmm. And then separation, um, attachment separation disorder. And then PTSD counts as an anxiety disorder. Did you know that? I did. Yeah. So so does acute stress disorder. Yep. Right. So there you go. There is the disorders that fall within the realm of anxiety disorders in the DSM-5. Uh, like I said, we're going to kind of focus in on the anxiety. But here's like the prevalence of anxiety disorders in general in the U.S. populace. So last year in the United States... Um, there were 19% of U.S. adults had any anxiety disorder. Of those, um, is a little higher for women. Um, 24.1, or excuse me, 23.4% uh, for females, and then 14.3 for males. And about 31% of U.S. adults experience some sort of di- anxiety disorder in their lives. So it's not uncommon. No. It's not crazy. Like, when you think of, like, no. 30%. So the last... U.S. Census taken, I think, said 344 million people. So 30% of 344 million is roughly, um, let's see, 103 million people. Yeah, what's so interesting about anxiety is that a lot of, some of them you can notice from the outside. You're looking at the person, you're thinking, oh, that's an anxious person. But most anxiety is really silent, and people are really suffering inside and feeling physiological things that are going on inside their bodies that really aren't apparent to other people. So people don't know that you're anxious. And some people are excellent at coping and covering up. Yeah, no, and like what Beth means by that is like, muscle pains like headaches like physiological being like experiences you have in your body so like if you have constant like stomach or intestinal issues that might be an indicator of anxiety or lightheadedness or feeling dizzy a lot or your heart starts beating at different times whoa shortness of breath do i have anxiety (laughs) (laughs) well you know anxiety it's interesting you know stress can cause us to react you know that's cortisol is a part of our stress response it's our stress hormone and when we get keyed up to respond to something our cortisol levels go up and so you know some of that it's not full-blown anxiety but it it, it's it's like your ability to fight or flight and Mm -hmm. so that's activated all day long with different kind of situations. But for people who are anxious, they're, they're either constantly activating that system because they're getting to that high keyed up state by their thought process. Mm-hmm. So they're always feeling that ever added on hormone. And so like going, like doing a deeper dive into generalized anxiety disorder, 2.7% of the U.S. population is diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder uh, last year. So, um, of those 3.4%, um, more diagnosis for females than males. Yeah. Let's go back to some of the symptoms though, because it can really affect your body, your mind, your brain, like what you're thinking and then your emotions. Mm -hmm. So like, like if you feel nauseous, do you ever get like so nervous that you feel nauseous, it can that can if you that's a common component of your life that you immediately start to feel nauseous. That can be an indicator of depression or um, um, anxiety. Um, muscle tension, mm-hmm. you know, feeling really tight. That's even one of the criteria. But like some people, they feel in a variety of different parts of their body. So if you're like tapping your foot all the time, or like you're always like grinding your teeth, is would mm-hmm. that be an indicator that you might be experiencing some anxiety, or you think that that's just people getting their like energy out in a way if they're you know they're living like a stagnant life 
I think you need to ask more questions because I think some people do have, you know, little habits or whatever that aren't necessarily indicated that they're anxious. But it, people who are anxious will do that. Okay. So. so, okay, interesting. Other cognitive things, like if you can't remember things, but you can focus, hyper-focus on other things that are the things that make you anxious, then that can be an indicator of anxiety. So if we're, we're talking about like hyper-focused on like minimal things. So like if every day, this is more ind- indicative of like obsessive compulsive. So like intrusive thoughts and stuff like that. But like one instance might be like if you must check the entire house every single time you leave, uh, to make sure all the doors and windows are locked because you're afraid that when you get home, somebody who's not supposed to be there will be there. Uh, that's a good indicator of anxiety. Yeah, um, or worrying about being contamin- contamination. So, which yeah. is right now, you know, with people being worried about the coronavirus, that yeah. you know, it's like, so, oh, it's out there. If I touch something, if so. you, if you are worried, uh, like if you are sitting here worried excessively about the state of the world that might be an indicator of anxiety right so like not going to diagnose you on the podcast but if you're just like the world is you know not getting any better the world is getting worse like we're going to worry about like my kids and the dog and like what if we all die from COVID-19 and what if terrorists kill us like that's anxiety and I think too if it's making it impossible for you to function in other areas of your life like it's affecting your work and it's affecting your social life and it's affecting your ability to maintain relationships with other people then of course oh, you might yeah. have a diagnosis let, let me like put the like there's an underline if these things cause significant distress or impairment in your life like that is an indicator like that is when we start looking into diagnosis right right so people worry right now about mm-hmm. their health you know yeah it's normal it's, it's unnormal it's prevalent in the news like people like when September 11th happened, like, of course, we were concerned about terrorist attacks. Like if this is not easily explained by a significant event in your life, right? Like then that's when we start looking towards those diagnoses. Right, right. So other symptoms can be avoidance, like trying to avoid things, um, being restless, agitated, pacing, even hyperventilating. Yeah, like that'd be indi- indicative of what we would call panic attacks. Yep. And just being edgy and nervous and kind of keyed up. Those are all those symptoms. Tingling in the arms or legs, tense muscles, dry mouth. Anxiety is a real problem. Okay. So what if I'm like nervous about like giving a speech or having a huge presentation due? Does that mean that I have anxiety? No, no. I think though, the more you do things like that, and that's one of the treatment methods actually is exposure, Mm -hmm. exposing yourself to things that make you nervous and then it decreases the anxiety because it's not a novel event anymore. That's normal. Mm -hmm. And and, and you might even say that's not anxiety. That's just more nervousness. Yeah. So, So. but people who, who start to avoid things because they don't, you know, they're so self-critical or they're, um, they're really upset about doing anything and they f- have nausea or they begin to have sort of panic and they can't manage it. Like a lot of us can manage it by thinking about something else or we'll just, you know, stop the madness and we'll move on to something else to think about. So if there are, if there are clients out there, if there are people out there um, who are coming in and saying like, I think I've got anxiety I'm not sure I really want to talk to somebody about that. Like what steps would they need to take in order to begin to get help and process through to see if they actually do have anxiety? Well, I think you would try to find like a symptom checklist and Mm -hmm. see like what are those things that you have. Um, We just went through a few of them, but I didn't even mention them all. There's probably like 30 different things. Mm -hmm. So I would start, you know, meet a mental, you know, if you have insurance, you want to try to find out who's in your insurance panel and, um, you know, engage with a therapist. You can word of mouth, you know, out there. Yeah. And you your can doctor's office, you can go to your doctor, your doctor is going to like know some of those basic things, right? Like your doctor isn't a mental health expert, but kind of like we know some of the symptoms for strep throat, right? Sore throat, mm. dr- you know, I don't even fever. 
stuff like that, like we can say, oh, that's a sore throat. Like we don't have to go to med school to know what a sore no. throat is. Like your doctor doesn't have to go through years of psychiatry school to say, oh, you are showing symptoms of anxiety. Um, we so would hope that the doctors would know enough because a lot of doctors will prescribe medications. But if they're up on their literature, they'll know that um, SSRIs are some of the best medications for that mm-hmm. and they'll you know hopefully try some of the more you know there's some that are more popular that are very effective um it used to be that they would treat with um valium or xanax and now that's not considered best practices anymore because they're so addictive now say. Yeah. yeah sometimes they give them out in short doses like if you're getting on an airplane and you're phobic about that which is another type of anxiety disorder that we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but they might give you something to kind of get you through it. Or like if you've had a death or something, you know, your doctor may help you sleep by giving you a short-term supply of something like that. But really, it's funny how depression and anxiety kind of affect the same part of the brain. Mm -hmm. And there's so much overlap that sometimes people are comorbid, meaning that they have a little of both or they have both. But, um, so we, we know that the medications, so SSSRIs are usually used in depression, but they also have great effects on some people with anxiety. Correct me if I'm wrong. SSRIs, for those of you who don't know what that means, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And so they inhibit uh, serotonin from being like sucked up back into the brain. Like I don't. Yeah, they make it more available for your to be used in yes. the brain in the connections so it still gets um so it, it helps it get to where it needs to go right i wish i could give you a more accurate description like think of your body uh your brain having these like little hoses that spew out chemicals and these little vacuums that <laughs> suck it back up uh um, dendrites and Axiom. yeah man like i've got to break Neurons. this down barney style because once again i was a marine Muscles are required, intelligence not expected. So we got to break it down Barney style. And um, so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors block the vacuum and increase the hose spewing out the serotonin and stop it from getting sucked up into that vacuum. And so it's really important to have enough serotonin in your system because, you know, your brain's trying to process things. And if you can't process well, then you know, your emotions get dysregulated. And that's an important thing in treating anxieties that you want people to be able to have um, the ability to have the chemicals that they need and have them available so that they can function at their best. And I think before we started recording, you were talking about like two different types of anxieties, like, go ahead, like talk to our audience about that. Okay, well, cortisol Um, production is done in our adrenal gland and it's really important because it helps activate our stress response and so we have stress all day long different you know and how our body responds to it is really um, one of the treat the true things that we try to understand in this treating this disorder because we're trying to help even though some people don't realize they don't call it cortisol management it's really about relaxation training So a lot of anxiety, instead of being keyed up, we're trying to teach them to relax. And so that's really managing their cortisol. But there's two interesting phenomena that research has found out about cortisol in anxious people and depressed people too. Some people just start off with low cortisol in the morning. And it's kind of this curve that you're supposed to have more in the morning and then it slowly goes down throughout the day. And then by the time you're going to bed, you should have less cortisol so that then your body can re- restore and recover while you're sleeping. So some depressed people start off with very low cortisol levels in the morning. And so they end up with, um, uh, I can't find my note on that, but they um, end up with like, they can't handle stress. So any stress that does come into their life, they're not able to activate because they need to activate increased cortisol if they handle stress. So they feel overwhelmed all the time. They have increased irritability. Um, They may be more tired because they don't have the cortisol to kind of give them that boost to face things and they feel overwhelmed. Now, some people, if they're constantly under stress, 
but through their own thinking process or because they are in situations environmentally like they're poor or they have are in abusive relationships or are being abused as a child then their stress levels are constantly activated and that can really affect your brain function a lot so yeah like talk about do you can you talk a little more in depth about like how that you know interrupts your brain function right so well when you're a child it's kind of an it's kind of unfortunate that zero to five is kind of this critical time period for your growth of your brain and if you have way too much stress and um, trauma then your brain might actually not reach its maximum potential and then your chemical production and the movement of chemicals may be permanently sort of altered now there are methods to try to retrain your brain and to try to help increase the flow of those kind of chemicals that are going on but it's a real problem and a lot of times people that have trauma have emotional regulation issues which means that they can't control their emotions in the same kind of way that somebody that has all the chemicals in place has the full development of their brain and so they have to learn strategies to try to cope with that because they'll go to a hundred like in terms of anger in like very quick period of time or they'll become consumed or overwhelmed by something that triggers them and so then they can't dial it back because all those hormones and chemicals are flooding their system and it's really hard for them to pull back and then have a more rational the frontal lobe portion of your brain is where you sort of plan and think and you know weigh the cost benefit analysis like is it worth it for me to go off at my employer on the job because he triggered me in a way and I don't have that regulation to try to think this through and think is this to my advantage I'm just immediately like triggered into anger to a hundred and then I say something I shouldn't say maybe do something I shouldn't do and then I've lost my job yeah and like if you are angry at your boss we have all been there (laughs) oh yeah yeah so we're like or just the institution you know bureaucracy that's right it's not it's, it doesn't you mean feel that powerless. your brain is like jacked up if because trust me there's plenty of times where we felt like are you, d- how are, how did you make it to this point institution or boss right how did you get to where you're at and that is normal anger is normal and it's okay it's what you do with that anger and what i think beth is talking about is um a severe or almost overreaction to what most people would consider um, normal challenges in everyday life. Here's the good news is like most of those things are not permanent. So if you're sitting here listening to this like, oh, yeah. oh my God, my brain is so oh. jacked up. I'm jacked up. I'm never going to get over this. You probably but, already have done things to yeah, heal your brain. That's right. And the good news is our brain is very what's called plastic. So it's got high plasticity. It can is forever creating new neural networks. We're... We used to think that brain development stopped at certain ages. Now we know that it continues on, even into what, like our 60s and things like that? Yeah, well, all I can say is listening to this podcast is going to help your brain. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our well, self-promotion any, time. <laughs> any podcast, really, any kind of intellect, you know, um, some people stay stagnant and they don't want to learn more things. But, you know, people who tend to listen to podcasts are really curious about their world and are trying to learn new things and gather new information. So all those kinds of things just really help your brain. Listening to music, mm-hmm. creating music, drawing, um, poetry, reading, all those kinds of things are very helpful. Yeah, they, they help increase those plasticity. And there are people, if you've grown up and there have been people in your life that have been a stable or like calming presence, like that has helped your brain grow too. So if you grew up in a very abusive home or a home where one or both of your parents was addicted to substances like and there if there was like a stable person an aunt a grandmother a really loving neighbor um they're like they helped your brain form they were they formed what's called a secure attachment and that's like super important to managing some of those like emotional regulation issues so like there's you know you're not jacked up you're not a horrible person there's not no hope no there's in fact a lot of the treatment for anxiety you want to talk about treatment now yeah let's talk about treatment for a minute they're all 
it's you know I'm sure you've heard of the concept of self-care like it's kind of a thing that's a buzzword in our, certainly in our profession as social workers and other right. mental health helpers but it's really something we're hearing everywhere right take care of yourself treat yourself well all those things are good for mental health namaste that's right i'm gonna eat pray love my way to better <laughs> mental health thanks julia roberts <laughs> oh my goodness well it's true what you eat you know it's interesting um what you eat does make a difference you know if you're eating a lot of processed foods and things that are high in sugar um, some of the no-nos of anxiety treatment are caffeine and alcohol you know, yep. sometimes people want to use alcohol to kind of turn off their brains, but really that's the wrong, 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 wrong thing to do um, long term and daily, like becoming a substance abuser, is because it depletes your serotonin, which is a mm -hmm. chemical that you really need when you're trying to deal and um, use frontal lobe function to kind of rationalize and be able to control some of your emotions and feelings. So other treatment. Um one of the things I like to treat is uh, talk about is the shifting of awareness. Once people start to get like how much time they spend thinking about anxious things and being so anxious and it consumes like all their thought and they can get tricked into thinking about it too much that they really just have to shift their awareness. Mm -hmm. And so some of those things we talk about, you know, are mindfulness or being grounded, thinking about where you are right now, focusing on the here and now, as opposed to thinking about whatever else it is that makes you anxious. So like if you're with your kid, instead of worrying about the kid and their future and things that could happen or things that happened in the past, you like enjoy the time with your kid yeah. and focus on what am I doing right now? What am I, you know, instead of thinking about if I don't do this or I did this wrong or so really yeah. important on being in the here and now. And so there's, that's um, kind of a, like just focusing on the daily activities and trying to find joy and peace in what you're doing currently. Like if, if you have to clean the house, like how can I make this fun? How can I make this enjoyable? Instead of worrying about what you need to do and how much there is to do, it's like, it's like kind of partializing and taking yeah. it piece by piece. They call it, they call it chunking. Mm -hmm. So like breaking your big tasks. So if you have to clean the entire house, breaking your big tasks into little tasks. Can I do this over several days, right? Can I like sweep the house today? Can I vacuum tomorrow? Can I clean the bathrooms on Thursday? Things like that. Yeah, and you know, people, um, they often think of all the things they haven't done instead of saying, what have I done today? And a lot of times it's quite a bit. Yeah. And they Make don't- checklists. It's yeah. very helpful. It's a very like physical reminder of the things that you've accomplished that day. Right, and sometimes when people are anxious, like before bed, I say, write down what you're anxious about journaling you know just write it down because then you can say i thought i wrote it down i don't have to think about that anymore it's in that it's written down i can look at it tomorrow morning i can go to bed now or if they have a new thought write it down add it to the story so journaling is really important not only to like you know one of the cognitive behavioral techniques you use which is a, a common theory to treat anxiety is to get people to re realize that there's a connection between your thoughts your behavior and then your emotions and then what was a triggering thought or evaluation of a situation what was the faulty thinking that you had that kind of led then to the anxiety and the feelings and all those kinds of things and then so c getting them to write down situations because then you try to backtrack with them and analyze those situations it's like you're a coach like trying to get them okay you know we're up to the bat and what happened here and how could we have done this differently what's a different strategy so cbt um so it's interrupting the worry, trying to get them to do something different. Like, is there a song they can sing or choose something else to think about? I once worked with this older guy many, many years ago, and he was a caregiver. And he would get worried about, you know, did he do everything right? And, you know, his wife was going to die. And so one of the things we worked on with him was when he started to feel himself, he would sit in his chair in his living room and he would get this like ruminating, which is, you know, thinking over and over about these things. And we'd say, just stand up and say, I'm a good care provider and like walk around the living room because he needs to get up anyway. Now we have these watches that tell us to get up and move around. But, and, um, it was really helpful to him to do that, to do just to change his location, move around, give himself sort of a mantra, something mm -hmm. I'm a good care provider. I love my wife. Instead of thinking about, Oh, you know, all the things he hadn't done, he was doing many good things that he needed to shift his focus. So I think, yes, absolutely. And like talking about movement, and I know you mentioned earlier, 
exercise, exercise, mm. exercise. I said it last podcast. I'll say it this podcast. I will say it every single podcast. Get up. Um, go for a walk. Go to the gym, although not right now because that's against CDC recommendations. Is because it? Oh, is it? I mean, it's a large box with several different body fluids in yeah. it. Well, it's funny because I've been getting emails from my gym about we we keep it clean and clean everything before and after. And And I have no doubt in my mind that (laughs) your guys' gyms, if you're listening to this, are doing every single thing they can to keep, you know, disinfectant available, hand sanitizer. They're probably mopping every 30 minutes or every hour, like, to make sure, like, there's nothing on the floor that's going to contaminate. Because, like, they're a business too. They have to keep running and it behooves them to keep everything clean so their clientele keep coming back. But I must say Mother Nature is also a very good place to exercise. Cause yeah. they say, and that gives you added benefits because you're out in nature. There was a study done where they had people walk in a city and walk in uh, the woods, the forest, mm-hmm. and they compared their cortisol levels and people who exercised out in nature had lower cortisol I believe it. I mean, and that's the thing is like getting outside. And it doesn't have to be crazy exercise. Like, you know, um, gentle exercise, meaning just walking is enough. In fact, best practices for a healthcare provider, when they come in, you start explaining symptoms of depression or even anxiety, they'll say walk. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll tell you to walk three to four times a week. And that's a great treatment for anxiety. Yoga. Yoga is one. Counting. Counting is a great technique for anxiety because if you're counting, you're not thinking about what's making you anxious. Yeah. So like in anything along those same veins, anything that's going to focus your thoughts, like we talked about um, redirecting thoughts, but like building something, editing something, coloring, um, journaling, writing, engage your creative mode. Like you don't have to be, uh, I don't know, the best. You don't have to be journey. You don't have to be. No. The best singer in the world. You don't. I, I should have said Freddie Mercury. That's right. You you don't have to be Freddie Mercury, but turn your music on and dance around your living room in your socks. It's cool. No one's gonna judge you, bro. Yeah, we just. Uh, my daughter. We were watching concert videos last night. It's fun. You don't have to be Jimmy Page. <laughs> no. Um. Some other things are like your therapist will probably teach you some things about uh, muscle relaxation. There's different ways that you can actually. M- just sitting in your chair or laying in your bed to relax all your muscles. Mm-hmm. It's a progressive muscle relaxation, and you just start by tensing. Sometimes you start from the bottom or the top, but you tense your feet, your ankles, you know, one at a time. Meanwhile, you're still breathing. Teaching breathing exercises is a very common thing that's in therapist toolkits to help yeah. people with anxiety. And there's so many different breathing techniques. And just taking a cleansing breath and, you know, you think about, you know, taking all those toxic things that were in your um, cells, the waste products and how you're just breathing that out and bringing in oxygen. So breath is very, very foundational. And then while you're doing that, so progressive muscle relaxation, breathing, and then meditation. Um, which you can just think about your happy place. Mm-hmm. You've used that before, haven't you, Michael? Yeah. I talk about my happy place all the time. Yeah. It's an island. It's something any... Oh, really? An island? Yeah. It's an old British guy in there. I don't know why. <laughs> really? He's my safe person. <laughs> That's funny. His name's Nigel. Really? <laughs> That's a little creepy. <laughs> but it works for you. Uh, I like to think I'm in a forest with a bubbling brook and fall and... Uh, you know, and then what you're doing is you're engaging all your senses. So you're thinking, you know, what what am I feeling with my body? You know, how is my um, taste? Can you taste anything? Like, do you eat anything when you're on your island or drink anything? Yeah, absolutely. Nigel's a bartender. That's <laughs> okay. why he's oh, there. <laughs> that's awesome, right? You're in a. Is if it you're a, struggling is it a, with alcoholism, perhaps a bar isn't your best place <laughs> to have a happy place. However, is it a pool bar where you like swim up to the edge of the? <laughs> No, uh, I don't want to divulge too much about my happy place, but it's just a little island with like a like cabana like shack made out of bamboo, and there's an old British guy that serves beer on tap. It's cool. That's awesome. I mean, That's I'm awesome. a I'm a millennial, so that means that I'm drinking craft beer. It ain't Coors Light, bro. Uh, another. Um, anxiety piece that's really important is sleep Mm -hmm. you know and being able to get sleep is really healing and if you're not getting enough sleep you're going to be more anxious so that's another no-no you don't want to be sleep deprived and and you should do a whole podcast on sleep we could and we will um in the future we'll deep dive a little um, more into these topics it's fine like it's 
One other thing I have on my list of uh, treatment is being brave. Because I think anxiety can also be about fear Mm -hmm. and not trying things and like convincing yourself you can't do things. So sometimes getting that, you know, bravery and like developing that as a identity issue can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think like I've recently I've been seeing a lot of teenagers that have a lot of anxiety and they really embrace the cognitive behavioral thinking. Like you just teach Mm -hmm. them a few things and then they actually try it when they're young. They try, they do their homework and they, they like try things. So it's kind of exciting. But I think with teens, they have so much going on with trying to figure out who they are Mm -hmm. and what's important to them, you know? So it's like, who am I? What am I going to do with my future? You know, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of stress. Like, Figuring out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And if you're a parent, like, give your kids some grace because, once again, don't forget, like, smartphones, the advent of smartphone technology has only existed for 10 years. The first iPhone came out in 2007. So, like, we, as a society, we're not prepared for that because of all of the things that we're learning about, um, such as, like, the way that our interface interacts with us. It causes... Our interface is like an intermittent reward system. Mm -hmm. And so like that intermittent conditioning causes us to pull out our smartphone more. It's kind of like gambling. Um, So like when we're like, a kid won't get off the phone, like, okay. So there's things that you can limit because like smartphone usage has been pseudo linked to depression, anxiety, like, Mm -hmm. and I cannot. It will affect your sleep patterns. Yeah. So like cutting off the smartphone an hour or so before bed never having them in the bedrooms for snapshots yeah man like that i mean that's and we'll do like internet safety as well and anxiety if somebody's floating a picture around you that can be anxiety yeah so but like the our kids have so much Mm. more access to not only games but they have access to information, which is good because it's making them more aware. I think it's leading yeah, to a tolerance movement. Yeah, they're more global. Mm-hmm. They're more global, yeah. Yeah, So, but it also is exposing them to everything that our cell phone and social media companies yeah, opening are doors. targeting. Yeah, so or like, marketing and commercialism. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of pressure. There's so much like how to look hot and sexy for girls, you know, yeah. all these um, like Instagram six pack for guys like six fat burning foods you should be doing to include in your workout and some guys are just like just trying to play I don't know like chaos league or uh, PUBG or Fortnite yeah and then who are you you're figuring out your identity and then you're plastering yourself all over the internet like in only certain pictures and trying to make the perfect picture mm-hmm. and so like they're like give grace to your kids and also a l- monitor and limit your kids electronic use and monitor and limit your own usage of electronics yeah. like you can have rules for your household if you're like oh we can't do this like our kids already like guess what you're the parent you can implement rules right. you're the adult you can impose rules on yourself and if you can't get somebody to yeah. help you be accountable and this is a really interesting time to be talking about that because a lot of these kids are at home and they're not going to school and they yeah. probably won't for a few weeks many so. weeks maybe and so they, they're increasing their usage. Like last night I said, told my son, I was like, you can't have any screens. You're going to go take a bath. I made him take a bath. He hasn't had a bath in like three years. I was like, just chill out and relax and take a bath. How, how old is your son? Is he just like playing with little boats in the bathroom? No, he's nine. He's nine. And he actually didn't say anything. He took his Pokemon figures in there with him. But he hadn't had a bath in a long time. And so he came out and he was chill. And I said, no more screen time. Yeah, and man. You know, no more TV. Just play with your stuff because he wanted to stay up late because you know he's not going to school, and so, so it was funny. And also keep a str- a structured like thing, like a schedule for yourself. Like if you're having intermittent, if you're going to bed at nine thirty one night and then one thirty oh. the next night, and then you're like, oh, I'm tired, so I'm going to bed at seven thirty tonight. Like if you don't have that set schedule for yourself, like that's you're opening the door to increase things like depression and anxiety because. Like Beth said at the top of the podcast, you're not getting enough sleep and you're not allowing yourself to kind of unwind for the day in like a methodical way. It's just kind of like, whatever, I'm going to bed now. Um, I think uh, I don't want to interrupt you. Do you have something else you're going to oh, say? I was going to say one of the things for your kids is even if they are out of school right now, send them to bed at the same time. Kids need that structure. It, kids, and I always say this, if they're younger than like, six most of the environmental causes of anxiety they're not there might be something Mm. else going on but like anxiety in children is 
mostly environmental. So they're not sure what they're doing or, you know, if you're divorced, like I'm not blaming the divorce, but like kids have feelings of uncertainty. They're not sure what's going on. They don't know, you know, like do I have to choose sides? Do I've got different rules at mom's house than dad's house. And that's really confusing and stressful for them. So they're acting out and they're like, my kid is just acting terribly. And it's not that they're acting terribly. They're just reacting to the environment that they're being placed in so if you are observing like maybe what's called emotional dysregulation so they're happy one minute and then they're screaming and throwing themselves on the floor the next or they're complaining about headaches or their stomach hurts or like their body hurts like that might be anxiety and start to look at things in the environment and say okay you know did they have a stable bedtime do they have a stable schedule when they get back from school is there something going on at school are they being bullied like you have to is play. Is there good communication so they know what to expect? Yeah. So like telling your kid, all right, um, we're going to school today. You know, grandma's going to pick you up and then you're going to go to her house for a little bit. So like you can even make it specific. You're going to go to her house till five tonight and I'll be there to pick you up. And, and saying it over and over mm-hmm. again. It's never too much. Yeah. Your kids really, in some ways, we need to communicate to them like they're adults right so like we can't expect to impose rules on them and them to be little robots they need to learn boundaries and safety but at the same time like communicating to them like this is why we're doing this like that can be helpful but at the same time like their brains aren't developed they don't understand things like adults do so um, permanence or the ability to know like things are going to be okay their brain might not be there yet and um, especially like this is weird but teenagers do not perceive expression and communication the same way adults do. Mm-hmm. So, like, they don't understand facial expressions. And we're kind of getting off track, but this mm-hmm. goes into anxiety and structure. But, like, there was a study done. Do you remember the study where, like, they did, they had kids and, like, teenagers analyze adults' faces to see if they could mm-hmm. um, discern the correct facial expressions? And they couldn't most right. of the time. Well, that probably is why there's so much drama in high school, because everyone's misreading everybody. Yeah. And they, you know, going back to the cognitive piece, they're like, Susan hates me. And Susan's like, I don't even really remember your name, Jill. (laughs) And so those things, like not only do they happen in kids, they transfer over. Adults do it, Mm, too. Beth is so angry. And Beth's like, dude, I've got to feed the dog. (laughs) So what is it? RBF? Yeah, yeah. If you've got an RBF on and you're just thinking about dinner tonight and your coworker's like, dude, what's wrong with you? And you're like, nothing's wrong. I'm just yeah. thinking about dinner, bro. Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, one of the things I've, I don't really know the data on this, whether, but I found that a lot of the kids I've been seeing, especially teenage girls, they're introverts. Mm-hmm. And the way this world is set up, it's for the extroverts. And so they're misunderstood, they're, um, they don't have opportunities to interject in conversations because it's going so rapidly fast. It's like the, po- the power of personality. So if you're a person, you know, you have a big personality and you're taking up all the space in the room, mm-hmm. then these introverts who are just trying to figure out who they are and how to fit in, it's a lot more difficult for them. And so they think in their head a lot. And so sometimes anxiety seems to be in that area. Mm-hmm. I read this book recently called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking, and it's really a powerful book, and it kind of explains all those issues and how, you know, almost 40% of the world, they think, is introverts, Mm -hmm. and so we need to rethink this, you know, and give them space, and especially, like, I have a family of introverts. I'm kind of an extrovert, but everyone else in my family is introverts, and so it's like, how do I function and understand how their work works and how they think through things, and it's um it's a powerful thing when somebody understands you and gives you the space. Yeah, and it empowers you. Yes. So like that's the if you are let's talk about since you did mention your family. If you are someone who is trying to support a family member who has anxiety, what are some things that they can do? So you can acknowledge their thoughts and just kind of ask them, you know, like how are you doing today? Like what are you thinking about? Is anything making you nervous? You Or don't even say, what are you thinking about? Address it directly. You look really nervous. What's going on? 
you know, like don't be afraid to be direct with people. Yeah, helping them know their emotions and mm-hmm. understand and making that connection between how they're feeling and that it is emotions and it's connected to their thoughts. So making that little triangle between emotions, thoughts, and feelings, behavior. And I think um, teaching them breathing, mm-hmm. doing yoga with them, encouraging them to be in sports or, but sometimes being on a team is too much. Maybe, um, you know, individual kind of sports where they can. Yeah. So like tennis and individual sport i can't play swimming. tennis swimming that's a good one yeah uh snowboarding surfing golfing, golfing uh bowling although bowling I is think, a team activity too i think sometimes. another way that you can help your kid is um helping them realize that it's a myth that you can have it all and that um everyone does everything perfectly yeah I mean, those are two things that I think we think in America, you know, everyone out there is perfect and they don't, but we're just all trying to get through life, you know, and giving ourselves the opportunity to make mistakes and to grow and learn. Parents, like the helicopter parents, they want to hover around and make sure that there's no, you know, no failure for their kids. And I don't know, failure really helps kids. Yeah. We learn more from our failures than we do from our successes. Right. And sometimes like how to problem solve and yeah create new opportunities for ourselves very important yeah and so like those failure opportunities can provide ways for growth which once again to bring it back to anxiety um when you allow people to fail and accept that failure as a learning opportunity failure no longer becomes a fear but um a platform for projection Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. if you're a parent and you're not allowing your kid to fail and then struggle through like how do I make this work um allow them to do that don't set them up for more failure and duress in the future help them through provide scaffolding right that's what they call it scaffolding around the kid so okay you didn't pass this test that's okay I'm not angry at you don't ground your kids for their grades right hold them to a high expectation but don't um, make it so fear inducing or their fear of like punishment that they just kind of freeze because they got a B instead of an A or a C instead of an A. And you can come up around them and say, okay, what was hard? What can we do to fix it? If you can't fix it, you surely know someone who can or get a tutor, things like that. Or if it's a social situation, right? Um, you as a parent or a family member can provide conversations that give context to things. So if it's an internet issue help your kid fix it or if it's a bullying issue give empower your child to go to school and say to the teacher like these are the students I'm having issues with like right. can you just watch out for me and make sure like mm-hmm. I'm not that way they're not snitching on their peers you are not going in and you know handling the issue for them you're empowering them right. to do it now if they're like five or six they can't they can't do that but if they're a teenager they can and now all of a sudden you know they're not the kid whose mom stepped in and helped them or dad stepped Mm -hmm. in they're the kid who handled the situation themselves i think another important thing to consider is um there's this concept out there called differentiation and so like if you're enmeshed you're like the parent and your kid's struggling at school and you have all you're like feeling more than the kid feels or you feel every little pain that they feel you kind of have to separate yourself from that. And you're, what you're modeling for your kid is sort of this unhealthy mode. I mean, we care about our kids, yeah, but it's not us. And so it, it, being overly involved and overly meshed or not being able to separate yourself and say this is their problem, and I, I, you have a more rational position then to help them think it through and problem solve. And that's why parents go to the school and they freak out or – they call up other parents or they, you know, they kind of make the situation worse because they're, it's like it's their personal Think back feelings. to being a teenager. There's nothing more embarrassing than your mom going in and yelling at the teacher. You're like, oh, God, mom, please stop. Like, right. And that's a helicopter please. parent right there. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're embarrassing me in front of my friends. Thanks. Now I'm a loser. But uh, if you're doing those things, have no fear. It's not too late to yeah. stop. It's not too late to empower your kid or you yourself. Yeah, and you want, um, you know, there's this book out there called Peaceful Parenting, and it's about teaching your kid to um, take pleasure in the small things in life and not being overly materialistic and, 
engaging with people around them. And so these skills are really important, especially now with the internet and people being so focused on their phone and their image and that that's their identity when it's really not real in a sense, like somebody giving you a thumbs up or a like or how many likes you get. I mean, that shouldn't carry that much weight really. Or if somebody responds to a text message, like let's break it down. Even if you're like, I don't have social media, I don't have that problem. If somebody doesn't respond to a phone call or text message, Mm -hmm. it's okay. Like that's not a reflection of you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a reflection of like our busy world. That's right. That person might be bad manners or (laughs) yeah. Like that's, it doesn't reflect you as a person unless you are giving them, you know, like a hundred text notifications in an hour and then (laughs) maybe some assessment might be needed, but that's okay. Um, There's always room for growth. Good. So if you guys have any questions, you can always reach out to me at michael at fyswellness.com or you can reach out to our organization. Our our name on Twitter is at fyswellness. Just reach out to us. Um, we'll answer your questions. We can do an ask-answer type period at the end of every podcast for some of the more common questions that we're receiving. So feel free to reach out. Guys, thanks for joining yeah. us today. And thanks for the opportunity, Michael. I really enjoyed talking to you about anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to put it out there that there's a lot of hope for people that have different types of anxiety. You really can recover and do better. Yeah. So recovery is not only probable, but it's likely. There's one more resource uh, before we leave that we want to talk about. There's a book called The Anxiety and Worry Work- Workbook. It's by David A. Clark and Aaron T. Beck. They're both PhDs and one's an MD. Um, so I guess one's a PhD, one's an MD. doesn't matter. Um, but go ahead. If you guys are not sure or you don't want to go to therapy or you're not ready to take that step, you know, step out. There's resources out there that you can do outside of going to a therapist that can really help you start to manage some of your anxiety symptoms and hopefully, like, process and heal through that. So... As always, guys, uh, have a great day. Take two.